welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello and welcome to Fast Talk. I'm your host, Chris Case, managing editor of Velo News and a cyclocross devotee. Today, as always, I'm joined by Trevor Connor, who once partook in a cross race. Once. Is there anything more fun than ripping around in the mud on an autumn day with all your friends? Jumping off your bike, jumping on your bike, diving into corners, bunny hopping barriers, drifting through corners, powering through sand. The cyclists who have the most fun, cyclocross racers. The cycling discipline with the most hashtags, cyclocross. It's been a long time coming, but Fast Talk is finally taking on cyclocross. From training to racing, honing technical skills to riding on nearly flat tires. Warning. There are few, if any, nerd bombs in this episode. Today, we'll dive into many facets of cross, including, first, why cyclocross is so unique to the cycling world, and why comparing it to crits or time trials doesn't do it justice at all. Second, what assets you need to be a good cross rider. Some of it is purely physiological, like a good two to five minute power, but there's also more intangible things like resilience. Few people race just cross. So we'll talk about how to balance multiple race seasons and how to deal with what can end up being a long season as a result. Fourth, we'll explore the season a little deeper and talk about how both our experts like to periodize their training and also how they address the short race season in cross. Next, we'll explain the all-too-critical start position and why that raises an important question when planning your season. Should you come into the cross season hot? We'll spend some time talking about the technical side of cyclocross. A good engine is important, but if you're losing 10 seconds in the corners every lap, even the biggest engine isn't enough. Next, we'll discuss the training side of cyclocross and why the unique nature of the sport also requires a unique approach to training. And finally, we'll talk about cross races themselves, race strategy, the importance of course inspection and pre-riding, and selecting your gear. Our primary guests... Today are Grant Holicky of Forever Endurance Coaching, one of the top cyclocross coaches in the country, and one of his athletes, Max Chance, a former collegiate cyclocross national champion. You can tell that these two have worked closely together for years because they can't stop picking on one another. Along with Grant and Max, we spoke with Ellen Noble, a Red Bull-sponsored athlete with Trek Factory Racing and a multiple-time medalist at Elite Cross Nationals. And finally, I sat down with a true cyclocross legend, Katie Compton, my friend, the winner of 15 consecutive national titles and a four-time silver medalist at Cross Worlds. All that, and I haven't even mentioned cowbells yet. Let's make you fast. This episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Whoop. I wore Whoop for quite a while, and one one of the most fascinating things to me was how it helped me understand sleep and sleep behavior and the things you do before you sleep that affect your sleep. That process of of analyzing the bedtime routine and making sure that the quality of sleep was there, the consistency of sleep was there, was really something enlightening to me. And that was one of the the more interesting things to me besides all the other data it provides was this, this look at sleep that I'd never had before, honestly. What actually amazes me about this is coaching Chris, actually getting him to use a power meter or put a heart rate strap or collect any data when he rides was extraordinarily difficult. And when we handed him this device, and we're like, this will track you 24-7. <laughs> there was just this look of, no. 
on his face, but you found some value. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it, it really gets you thinking about that balance between fatigue, recovery, and then it is sitting there on your wrist while you sleep and you wake up in the morning and you see the stages of sleep that you're in and how much time you've spent in them, the quality of the sleep that you get. And obviously all of that relates back to the balance between strain and recovery, which leads to better performances. Whoop is the performance tool that is changing the way people optimize their training and recovery. Whoop provides a wrist-worn heart rate monitor that features detailed app-based analytics and insights on recovery, strain, and sleep. Whoop tracks sleep quality and heart rate variability 100 times per second, 24 hours per day, to help you know when your body is recovered or when it needs rest. You can also use the strap to track workouts and get strain scores that let you know how strenuous the training was on your body. Whoop helps you optimize your sleep based on how fatiguing your day was and tracks sleep performance with insight into your sleep quality, stages of sleep, and consistency. To make things better, Whoop just released the new Whoop Strap 3.0, which includes a suite of new hardware and app features. The Whoop Strap 3.0 now has five-day battery life, an improved strap, and live heart rate monitoring. A handful of new in-app features, including the new Strain Coach, improve the way you track and plan your training and recovery. Whoop has provided an offer for Fast Talk listeners to get 15% off their purchase with the code FASTTALK. That's F-A-S-T-T-A-L-K. Just go to whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, and use code FASTTALK at checkout to save 15% off and optimize the way you train. Thank you guys both for being here today. Absolutely, our pleasure. Yeah, very excited. And it's going to be fun because you guys have such a great relationship. <laughs> the, hey, I feel that, like you just jinxed it. <laughs> the podcast can be super boring. Nope, nope. It couldn't possibly be boring. <laughs> but yeah, we're talking about cyclocross today, which is... Grant loves cyclocross. Max loves cyclocross. I love cyclocross. Trevor's done a cyclocross race. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and be quiet. Hey, we've got to start somewhere with Trevor. I've actually got this new little timer that we're using for the podcast. So this is just going to be my job. I'm just going to flip it up. Flip it over. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. When the sand's run sure, down, we're great. just going to keep talking. Anytime Max starts talking, yeah, flip, that over. flip that over. <laughs> so I wonder if you could start, Grant, by give us an overview in your mind from a coach's perspective. You've been coaching a lot of different types of endurance athletes generally over the years, but you've also specifically been coaching young cyclocross athletes for many years. Give us an overview of the physiological demands that are specific to cyclocross to well, start us with. I think I think one of the things that's really unique about cross is how the effort varies and how the effort goes. Um, you start the uh, you start the race with a full off sprint, and that that changes everything. Right. There's there's not that many disciplines where, especially in cycling, where that's the way we're going to go. We're going to go out as fast as we can possibly go out. And then we have to try to find a way to settle in, recover a little bit from that. And then we're going to go again and we're going to go again and we're going to go again. And it becomes less of this idea of how do I sustain myself or how do I make it to the finish or how do I get there with a sprint at the end? It's like, how do I just keep doing this over and over and over again? And I'm just going to keep getting hit in the face. And that combined with the technical aspect of it, that combined with the weather aspect of cross, uh, it, it really makes it truly, truly unique in the world of cycling for sure. But I think in a lot of ways, unique in most sports. 
um, you know, my background swimming and then triathlon and then mostly cycling now. And it's just really nothing truly like it. Mm-hmm. It's got some components. There's definitely some overlap with some other disciplines, right? Well, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you can't, you can't have repeatable anaerobic capacity without aerobic power, right? you know, and, and a high aerobic capacity. You can't have the ability to recover from high end efforts without a solid lactic threshold. You know, all, all these other things are, are major components of what we do in cross, but how we're going to race that race you know, and we'll probably touch on it later. It, it's akin to crits, mm-hmm. but even even in terms of that, crits, the demand is is often by the other riders in the in the field. Mm-hmm. That's what's changing your effort. That's what's making you pop or go or all those things. Cross, it's it's the terrain. Mm-hmm. You don't have a choice. You've got to get up that hill. You don't have a choice. You've got to get off your bike. And and then that's a further component. The the component of what you're going to do when you get off your bike just really makes it unique. Uh, in the world of cycling. So here's the question I have is, can you cater to your own strengths? So if you're more of a crit style rider, can you be that guy that just gets really aggressive up the hills, really aggressive uh, coming out of the corners? Or if you're a a time trial style rider, can you just say, I'm just going to sit there at FTP, I'm going to go my own pace and ignore everybody else? Because you said there is no drafting. Right, right, right. Can you take that? Or is there really, if you want to win the race, there's one approach? Well, I I don't think there's ever one approach. I mean, we're going to look at every course when we travel with the the guys or I'm out on the road. And we look at every course and say, what are the demands of this course? There's certainly our courses, especially in the States, that you can take that steady time trialist approach to. And we've watched it work for some of the athletes that are very good American athletes, but you know, we've watched it work on the grand scale with somebody like Sven Nace. Uh, I mean, this was somebody who didn't have this rocking start all the time and worked his way back into races. Katie Compton, another great example. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who took her time and approached the race. So that time trialing approach can work, but then there's other times where, you know, we're going to have a bottleneck 200 meters into this race. And if you're not in the top 10, you're not going to see the top 10 again. Yep. And, and so Looking at each individual course and understanding how that plays to your strengths or how that plays to your weaknesses and then what you're going to do off of that. Um, I think there are some phenomenal examples at World Cup level of athletes who very, very typically took their time and and raced the whole hour, changed that tactic completely because of that bottleneck we saw was going to come early. And they won the whole shot. How, how do they pull that off? So... So every one of those courses is going to have a different demand. How you're doing on that given day might have a different demand. Where you are in your season, all of those things are really going to play into that. But everybody in everybody's style can have a degree of success. So I think you're definitely going to end up working your strengths, but be aware of your weaknesses so you can make some choices that are going to help you through those things. Yeah, I turn it over to you, Max. And you know, you know yourself and you have your coach coming to you coming with you to races, how do you work together to figure out how do you tweak the way you ride to, to, to most benefit you on that given race weekend? Yeah. So we, we're lucky because we have a good group of people in Boulder that we ride with anywhere from five to 10 people on a given Tuesday. And before the races, before the big races, I mean, we've, we've done, we've traveled the circuit before. So we know, okay, we're going to Louisville for, for nationals. We know it's going to be a lot of uphill. We know it's probably going to be some running, a lot of drags. So we go to different parks around Boulder, and Grant has workouts that replicate mm-hmm. the features we know we're going to see. Like at Boulder Cup's a great example at Valmont Bike Park. 
You ride there all the time. We know that 5280 stairs are going to be in the race. Sure. So you know you're going to be going up the hill, you're going to bomb down it, and you got to run up the giant staircase. And so finding features like that that you can easily replicate in your own training, preparing for races that are important, is a, is a, I think it's a feature that is not necessarily unique to cyclocross, but is something that everyone can do and like everyone can practice, and we do that a lot in Boulder. Mm-hmm. How many times do you get to do that before a given race weekend? Because one time isn't going to make that big a difference, right? You, how many weeks back are you looking to prepare for those races? Now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's still July and we've started those Tuesday sessions. Mm-hmm. So when we look at a race like Pan Am's, which for somebody like Eric Brunner is a U23 or Denzel is a U23, they have a really good shot at winning that race or being on the podium at that race. That's very insulting, Grant. I'm right here. (laughs) I'm getting there. And then for our elite riders like Max, hoping to crack the top 40 or (laughs) or something like that. Um, I like this. I was about to say, we've all gotten really serious here. (laughs) So, no, but looking looking at those very important races, like a C1 in Cincinnati, or we know the exact demands that we're going to see at that Pan Am course. And frankly... Uh, Chris McGovern, who I work with now at Forever Endurance, he just did a, wa- a walkthrough at the Tacoma course uh, for nationals. So we have a pretty good idea of what we're going to look for there. Um, so we're really going to model that stuff into what we're doing in our training, pick the parks, pick the areas that we're going to go to. And we're preparing for that stuff now. And I'll, and we'll talk about it. You know, this is going to be similar to the steps at Pan Ams. This is going to be similar to what you're going to see uh, at Cincinnati at the new Kings Cross course, um, things like that. And there's also things that are consistent across courses that mm-hmm. aren't the same, but like we'll go to practice like doing really steep drops that are really technical and a little bit scary and stuff. Cause a lot of times you'll go to courses and you're not always going to find the same exact drop at every race, but everything, every course is going to have something like that, especially at the world cup level. Like when you're going over and racing in Europe, there's a lot of really steep drops, loose, sharp turns at the bottom so just practicing those skills that are not necessarily make or break features of the course but could really end poorly mm-hmm. if you're not ready for them mm-hmm. things like that or barriers and staircases like there's going to be barriers there's going to be dismounts at almost every race so practicing those features you don't it's not that we're always practicing the same for tacoma the sure, runner right, right but just right. those yep those courses go hand in hand so, so taking so, a step back in just like a minute or two what are the assets? Hey, Timer. I, I knew there was a reason to buy that. Yep. What are the assets, both physiologically and otherwise, that you need to be a good cross rider? So most cross riders are going to be pretty sharp riders. Uh, they're going to be categorized. I wouldn't say as sprinters, but attackers for sure. Um, very good in the VO2 max ranges. Um And then from a mental point of view, resilience, honestly, is one of the biggest pieces. Uh, You're you're going to fall in a cross race. Uh, If you went to nationals last year, you're going to fall multiple times in a cross race. How do you keep your head straight in that uh, mindset? How do you keep their head straight in that endeavor? And and I think lastly, they tend to be very aggressive riders. Uh, That's you're going to make less mistakes being aggressive in a, in a race and, and the race is short and you get lulled into this sense of God, I was dying at the end. I needed to be careful, but it's an hour long. Uh, you can afford to be pretty aggressive in that setting. Mm-hmm. Max, is that, did he just describe you? Oh, not at all. But, <laughs> well, um, that's why you're trying to yeah, crack the top 40. In exactly. The exactly. If only. Yeah. I think what Graham was saying is right. Like being, having the ability to go, do high in power over and over and over and over again out of corners 
and the mental resilience and the skill aspect is definitely important. But like you also look at dudes who can just go, they're just diesels mm-hmm. and they like Jamie Driscoll, perfect example. Yeah. yeah. Always the dangler, yep. but he's always there. Right. Yeah. And never, he just keeps, a, never easing up, never keeps easing going. Up. So yep. even if that's not necessarily you finding how to make your skill sets work, is really beneficial. And maybe one of the biggest pieces to that is knowing what your skill sets mm-hmm. are, right? Jamie always knew what he was. So he would do everything that he could to stay on the back of that pack. And then as people started to fade, just pick them off, pick mm-hmm. them off, pick mm-hmm. them off. And lo and behold, it's on a podium again, you know, or he's second again, or he's third again. And and he was amazing in that capacity to do that. But he understood himself. He understands himself as a rider. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things that's important across is knowing who you are. Yep. Yeah. And you look at like the Wild versus Machu battles that we've seen so many times. Like they're completely like Machu can hit it so many times, but Wild is more of that diesel mm-hmm. strength. And so using He's talking about international yeah. cross riders, Trevor. Yep. <laughs> you may have known <laughs> them. You, They've done okay on the road bikes too. <laughs> Occasionally they show sure. like, yeah. yeah. Maybe um, maybe one a spring classic or two. Yeah. But like when they ride together and Vanderpool's way better technically. So Wout will take the corners first so that he can't get dropped through that. Wout's probably better than 99.99% of the world. But Very yes, true. but Vanderpool is in a category almost to himself. And least. so knowing knowing what you're good at and what your weaknesses are, and because every point on the course you're going to have a weakness, but you're going to have strength. So if you're in a group and they're and you're struggling through the corners, go to the corners first because they can't get around you. Mm-hmm. So they got to go your speed. Yep. So yep. if you're not cornering super well, just get to the front of the group. Everyone's got to go your speed. All of a sudden, you're still there at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a massively odd thing about crosses. In a lot of cases, if you're weaker in something, you want to do a sprint, get to the front, and, <laughs> right. and, and, and control block. the race from the front, yep. right? Yep. Um, so it, it's, yeah, understanding yourself as a rider is key. So in my one cyclocross race, I was dead last off the line. Perfect position. <laughs> yeah. Had them where you wanted them. <laughs> well, I spent the rest of the race passing people. I finished thirtieth, but I felt really good about myself. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, better than starting first and finishing thirtieth. Yeah, right. you're always yeah. moving up. That's why I got out of triathlon. I'd be really good in the swim and the bike, and then just get passed by everybody and their brother on the run. Mm. So, since you mentioned that we're sitting here in July talking about this, you're racing on the road at a high level, reasonably high level. So, yeah. So. <laughs> Like not according to Grant, but yeah. Not according wow. to Grant. No, Grant supports Grant, your road Grant racing. Loves so Grant far does. as you know. Exactly. Yeah. So you're how do you you know, brings up the obvious question. How are how do you balance the two? Racing on the road currently and preparing for a long cross season several months before the cross season even starts. I might not be the best to ask about this because <laughs> I'm really good at being really focused on like I don't I didn't ride my cross bike for like five months. And then I got on the cross bike. I was like, wow, this is really fun. This is super cool. You can ride all the gravel and have disc brakes. Like, this is great. <laughs> but then there's guys like Stephen Hyde and Tobin Ordenblad who are riding their cross bike all the time yeah. during the summer. So I've started to get back on the cross bike once a week mm-hmm. and mostly just messing around doing high intensity sprints that will translate over to the road stuff because that top end you still need yeah. on the road and you can get it during the cross bike. But then also just start working in those balancing skills and the maneuvering the bo- the bike over different terrain and stuff which i also think definitely helps with road racing too like if you're yeah. if you're racing crits and stuff and even road races like there's there's potholes there's corners everything and i think it's an underrated skill to be able to handle your bike well 
even on the road, even in long road races. Yeah. Because one of my old teammates would always make fun of me because every time we rode together, he'd be like, you you bunny hop something every rock. You don't need to do that. <laughs> but there's so many times in random races that it helps. you're just in the field yeah. and there's a bottle. Absolutely yeah. helps. Absolutely. There's a bottle. There's something. There's a know? curve. There's a roundabout. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, expanding on what Max just said, that's really the goal is is for somebody like Max, somebody like Eric who are doing road high level and cross those Tuesday sessions, they might be a little bit less, hopefully, about trying that really sweet drop. Yeah. Um, and a little bit more about high-end sprinting, a little bit more about sustained one minute, 30 seconds, stuff like that, that really is going to directly translate to what it is that they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And and how we build that workout into the weekly structure, you know, we tend to do high intensity toward lower intensity as we move through the days, fits really well on a Tuesday. Um, and then we'll go kind of longer more sustained efforts come wednesday and then into a nice long base day on thursday but max is right the skill set translates very very well and um the power pieces can translate very well if you build the rest of the schedule around them and it's also just very fun to mess around on cross bikes or or mountain bikes even when you're spending so much time on the road bike it helps mentally yeah it helps mentally i i'll i'll do most of my recovery rides on like cross like currently on the cross bike and go to valmont bike park or go mess around on the dirt paths and do skids and jumps and stuff like that. And so like I blew, I blew through one tire in a week cause I was skidding too much, but wow, that's great but to it's hear. Just like, yeah, at least you're having fun. Trevor spoke with Ellen Noble of the Trek factory racing team who at the age of 23 has already raced professionally in cyclocross road and mountain biking. Trevor asked her about how she manages to balance the multiple seasons. So actually last year in 2018, uh, beginning of 2018, I pivoted to mountain bike racing, which kind of meant that road took a little bit of a backseat and then continued to race cyclocross. But structurally, it's pretty similar in terms of like kind of the entrance point and the exit point of your secondary season. So the biggest thing for me is just try not to race for too long in the kind of like off season, if you will, of like the off season away from racing cyclocross predominantly. Um, so for me last year, it involved like I um, I had to turn down a spot for the world championships at mountain bike world championships, um, which was like really disappointing, but I just really needed to be able to focus on that entrance point in September. So I usually start racing a little bit later and then I ended up taking a break in August. So you stop racing a little bit sooner as well. But still allows for a lot of like really quality events and working on some like really important skills that like both skills of speed if you're doing road and skills of like technical stuff if you're doing mountain that may not always be our go-to um, racing cyclocross. And are you taking a, a fairly long break at the end of the cross season or do you have to get right back into it considering how, how late the cross season goes? Yeah, so I'm actually able to take <laughs> A decent break after cyclocross season. And although it doesn't really make for coming into the mountain bike season, maybe at like the speed that I want, it's definitely the priority for my coach and I after the end of a cyclocross season, because we race from September all the way through February, like pretty much full gas. So really in my eyes, like there's nothing more important than like a good hard reset for your mind, for your body, for your heart, for for everything, for the whole system. I think it's really, really, really vital to have some downtime, but it's not, it's ideal for longevity, but it's definitely not ideal for like the 
for like the first races, you know, like Sea Otter or the World Cups in May. It's really, really challenging to fit in so much training, like as much training as you need after that downtime um, in February. But I think it is, I think it is really important, but it just doesn't allow for a lot of wiggle room. So like, unfortunately this year we had planned out a block like pretty specifically and I got sick for a week in April and it completely sidelines everything because, you know, like if you have 12 weeks for a build and you have to do all of your endurance and then intensity and you get sick for one of it, it's like, well, we had 12 weeks to do all of it and now we only have 11. So it can be really stressful. But like I said, I always try to prioritize rest to avoid like chronic fatigue or sickness. So it's, it's, it's really important for me. Okay. And then what about with cross? Is it the same thing or do you feel like you can come into the cross season pretty hot after the mountain bike season? Um, I feel like I, I, I'm able to come into the cross season, like ripping, but I don't know if it's ideal to be honest. Like it's, it's really hard having the first round of the world cups in September being so valuable, being American, but then also having to race the world championships in February, like kind of full gas from there. It's definitely a balancing act of like, you know, success at the early races versus success throughout the rest of the season. Like you just really can't go well year round and you can't even really go well from September to February. So it's, it's like really, really challenging, but it's a fun game to try to play of like, how fast can I be in one? This year, I, I don't think I'll be as fit in the early seasons as I have been in the past, just because of I've had a lot of like, I've had a lot of stuff going on, um, like physically that I have finally, I think like overcome. Um, but it's been really, really challenging. So it means that my mountain bike season wasn't as hot and heavy, if you will, as it has been in years past. So I think that while my early season results may not be what they've been previously, I, I'm actually really curious to see how it plays out to see if I have a little bit more left to give at the end of the season. So jump into the, the racing side. Yeah. Uh, what are the ins and outs of racing and, and race strategy? What are the things to do and not do? Hmm. Well, I think that everyone sees cyclocross as these 45-minute all-out events, and they absolutely are, but there's still – very much a pacing component to it that I don't think people really consider. So some of my advice would really be to like play your cards. And I've always visualized racing like a matchbook and you can, and absolutely will, if you're not careful, just light the whole matchbook on fire in the first lap and then just go backwards. Let's get back to the show. Okay. So moving on, let's talk about the training side of this. So what does the overall season look like? What should you be doing by June? What should you be doing by August? Season tends to start late August, early September. Yeah. Around here and in the States, we're looking at a late August, early September start um, that runs through now middle of December. We used to complain all the time about what a long season it was when Nationals was the middle of January. Now it feels super short, to me at least. And uh, for a lot of our, our, our Masters athletes who are listening to this, it's even shorter. Right. State championships or something along those lines. But um, yeah, so the season, three and a half months mm-hmm. of real racing, it, it comes back to the question that you alluded to earlier. What are you focusing on? Are you primarily a cross rider or are you a road rider that's going to transition? I think no matter who you are, Spending time on the cyclocross bike, even if it's like Max said for an easy ride here and there, or for a long sustained base ride, especially where we live, you can get on gravel paths for three and a half hours, mm-hmm. get on dirt roads for three and a half hours. 
And um, the cross bike's not going to be that much different than your gravel bike if you have both. Or for most of us, like me, you're going to use your cross bike as your gravel bike. Mm-hmm. Or even as a commuter. Yeah. And dirt routes to work and yeah. stuff like yep. that. So I think I rode over here on this cross bike today. Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff is uh, a piece of that is... I love how even when Max says something nice about me yeah. or normal, it sounds like still, a dig. Almost. It still <laughs> sounds like an insult. <laughs> There's Grant's like, ride for the week. Yeah. <laughs> He's not he, wrong. Yeah, he'll be like, I'm like, you riding these? Like, um, I'm, I'm riding to the pool and back. <laughs> so, but the, yes. but that, that's a good point. I mean, for Masters racers, for sure, we are very limited in the time that we have available. I do two rides a week that are commutes, mm-hmm. but I'll take – a dirt path that's slightly longer and play around with what I'm going to hop. I'm going to go over curves or I'm going to do this. or I'm going to do that. So that's something we can do all year. I think it follows a bit of a traditional training plan. I'm a little untraditional on how I train people. I like to start the season with high intensity efforts. Um, I think that, I think it's really interesting, especially for something like cross that everybody talks about, build the base, build the base, build the base, then start to bring in to VO2 max and sprint efforts. But the problem with that is you're tired once you've built the base and you're going to struggle to get the true, true high end on those sprint efforts or those VO2 max efforts. So I like to sprinkle them out all throughout the year. This is really one of the cornerstones of racing cross. So we'll start with at least cadence sprints or true tie end sprints really early in the year, whenever people are back on their bike after cross season. Then there's, you know, we are going to go through a phase that's building predominantly threshold power, making sure the engine's really working well. And once that's established, as as we know, then we really are going to see big gains in VO2 max work. So then we'll transition to more of that anaerobic power and VO2 max work so come June timing. or July. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, that. June or July for the, the higher end efforts. And then using August to kind of reevaluate where are we what's going well what do we need to work on um that may be all skills that may be high-end power we may see that we've lost a little bit of threshold combat you know so maybe we're going to come back to that so it's it's a fairly traditional build with more of an emphasis on that vo2 max pop so one of the biggest challenges you pointed out is that the cross season is really short so if you come into the season missing an asset or not where you want to be what do you do about that? Is the season a write-off or can you, can you No, adjust? I think you can I think you can adjust. I think one of the biggest things that's hard for people when they race cross, and we go through this challenge with the pro riders, is understanding that there's still priority races and non-priority races as you go through the season. I mean, you may be staring at 10 weekends, and so that there's 16 races with double weekends and things like that. You're like, oh, I gotta be great at all of them because there's this points on the line, these points on the line. Now the way USAC points go and you're trying to make sure that you're getting a good start at nationals or state or something like that, you have to have that willingness to look at a race and say, okay, there's only one this weekend. It's on a Sunday. I can really get after it Tuesday, Wednesday, and then ease off toward the end of the week and recover from that. So really looking at the season as a whole and picking those weeks where maybe the weekend's not as important. Um, you know, we certainly use Thanksgiving weekend a lot, uh, that we know we're not going to race Thanksgiving weekend. We know like a mid season break to retune some things. Yeah. So we can go back to the drawing board or go back to what we're trying to look at. Um, we've also built in for a lot of people breaks mid season. Yeah. It's a short season, but it's super, super intense. And it's really hard to discount what a huge difference a two to three day stand down can make. Just get off your bike for two to three days. We've even done it with with our pro riders. Just take a week off, 
you're still going to race on the weekend. Why not? You know, go have some fun and race, but you're going to be rested. Maybe a little rusty, but you're going to be rested. You guys, I'm sure have heard me say it before, but made one of the major pieces that's missed in all of endurance sports is the ability to go and rest, mm -hmm. the ability to go and recover and be your best. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I'm shocked through the years at, at the January nationals when we would have January nationals, everybody's like, get trained super hard through Christmas. It's so hard to get to do this and that. I'm, like, I'm going fishing during Christmas and I probably won't ride my bike. And, and I would, I would have this huge decline during the Christmas season of how much training I would do, but I was keeping it in the back of my head. I had one, 45 minute race at nationals. Fitness wasn't that much what I was worried about. I was worried about making sure that I could still sprint, still handle my bike. So if I lost a little fitness, wasn't going to be a big deal if I could tie into that, the high end power and the technical stuff. So rest makes a big, big difference. One of my favorite things in the world is when I have an athlete that I can tell they're getting tired and they need a rest. I'll have them take a week off and the whole week they're sitting there going, oh, yeah, I need to get back on the bike. I need to train. I'm losing all my fitness. I'm like, just, just trust me on this. And when they come back, I mean, the first interval session, they'll be a little rusty. They have to yeah. get that out of the legs. But then the next interval session, they're putting out PR numbers. Yeah. Like, what's going on? I just took a week off. I should be out of shape. Yeah. Like, no, you're, you're rested. <laughs> Max is nothing like nothing this. Like nothing like that at all. Max. He's got a head case? No, well, <laughs> head he's case. got a bike attached to him. Yeah. He doesn't I, have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> I love how Chris has just learned to just pile on. Right. <laughs> just throw, like, we've been in here for, you know, 45 minutes and he's throwing them at Max now, too. No, I, I, I Trevor, so, you're so absolutely right. Just, just quickly, we're going to do a, a, a part two on a coaching episode we did a little bit, and we're mm -hmm. going to get you two back and talk about the importance of that respect and, and dignity. <laughs> <to the athlete laughs> yeah. Well, we could bring them all in. We could bring Eric and Denzel you in. Just and... give us four microphones for the next time we ride together. Oh yeah, <laughs> there we like, go. Lord, wow. Jeez, you can't. How put, are they friends? You can't put enough of the explicit ease on that yep, either. Grant, I don't even know where we were. No, we're talking uh, about how I'm horrible at resting. Yeah, Max is pretty <laughs> bad at resting, but he it's it's for the right reasons, right? It's um, hey, I want to keep getting better. I want to keep get progressing. I feel the progression. I know things are going well. I know I'm loaded. I know I'm tired, but we want to keep this going, right? We want to keep this going, and and being preemptive is something that. It's a real luxury of having coached an athlete for a long time mm -hmm. is to know when those cracks are going to start to show. And you learn from the mistakes. Um, last year was a big learning year. Yeah. I was racing. I was racing with 303 Project last year. It was the first season I'd done. Because when I was growing up, I, I did. I was racing cyclocross. I sounded a lot of fun, having some success. And I was like, I don't need to train that hard. I can just ride around with my friends on their paths and do well at Nationals. Right, right. And then I was yep. like going to Worlds. I was like, I still don't even have to train that hard. I just need to like be able to ride through the corners fast. And then so last year was the first year I was racing, rode at a high level consistently through the season. And I sort of get addicted to the whole being tired thing and just training through it. And I dug myself a giant hole. Not against, against Grant's advice. <laughs> I basically decided Grant doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I can get ready for the Colorado Classic by myself. Oh, boy. <laughs> Showed up horribly tired. Giant hole. Made it two days. Dropped out the back. And basically spent the entire cross season last year unmotivated and overtrained yep. and tired. And so last, like, the last season for me was basically a throwaway because the whole time I was tired. Mm -hmm. The whole time mm -hmm. I was like... So that explains yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And it's like... So it's like... And, and then now this year, since I learn a little bit of things... I'll take three days off after every road race I do. I'll go yeah. to do Gila, take three days off. 
did nationals, took a whole week off, middle of the season, getting ready for Utah and stuff. But like, yeah, I think rest is an underrated aspect. We say that very often on this show. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for yeah. confirming yeah. what we like I to hate preach. It. But, but it helps. Turns out it helps. Yeah. Turns out it helps. And, yeah. and with Max, there's some very specific things. Like he can spend a certain amount of time. If we want to get technical, he can spend a certain amount of time at a specific CTL. But if he spends more time there, he's going to crack. Mm-hmm. Right? So we actively are trying to bring that down, which for a lot of us that use training peaks or use stress scores, we love to watch that line go up and up and up and up and up. Love it. And and understanding when it's time to pull the pin on that a little bit or even what your ceiling is on that, mm-hmm. right? It's not more is not better. So find the find that balance. Well, it goes back to that whole thing of these metrics are great. They help guide you, but the metrics aren't the goal. Right. The, yeah. the race racing is the goal. And I, I, I have had those conversations with people. They're like, well, I'm racing awfully, but look at my CTL. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Crushing it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I might be a negative 50 right now on the four, but like <laughs> that number is real high. Yeah. So moving on to the the next thing on our list here. So we talked about the the overview of the season for a cross rider, but let's say you're a roadie or a mountain biker who just wants to tack some cross onto their season. What's your suggestion as as the road season or mountain bike season's winding down? How do they approach it? I would I would try to transition right into a little bit of cross. You know, use that fitness that you have, race a couple cross races, then take a break. And, you know, if you really enjoyed it, great. Take a week off, then come back and do some of the later season races. I don't think you can race a full road season or mountain bike season and expect to go right into a cross season and not blow up somewhere in that cross season. You need a break somewhere. But I do think that if it's if cross is a secondary piece to you, go in there with all that fitness that you've developed because of road or because of mountain bike. And the, and the, the seasons very much are seamless, especially out here in Colorado. You can roll right out of road. Steamboat stage race is typically the last thing on our schedule out in Colorado, and that's already two weekends into the cross year. So right. you could roll out a steamboat, get on your cross bike, and go. And the same thing's true for gravel now. And I'll I'll throw this out to everybody that's has a cross bike or a gravel bike. They work in the other discipline. They really, <laughs> really do, everybody. No, they don't. No, they don't. You need 10 bikes. <laughs> well, you do need 10 bikes, but that's neither here nor there. Your cross bike and your gravel bike can double as one another. Get into a race coming off the gravel season on that gravel bike. Maybe you change up the tires, but use that fitness to your advantage. Then maybe look for a break. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I did actually at Vela News when they were making fun of me for using my cross bike for gravel riding. I just looked at them and said, what's the difference between a cross bike and a, and a gravel bike? And they said, well, there's big differences. I'm like, what are the differences? And nobody could give me an well, answer. I can, give you, I can give you an answer. I was going to say, what did you, say, did you, all about you the were in the room thing? at the time. Oh, you talked <laughs> to our tech editor? I was about to say there were about three people that went, mm, Chris also bottom is bracket wearing, height. <laughs> Chris is wearing a dirty Kansas t-shirt right now, if that yeah. means anything. It's clean, though. It's clean. Yeah, um, yeah. There, I mean, there are differences, but you can use yes. each one of the bikes. You could use a road bike if you really wanted to. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. I mean, I That's don't. I, broke my road I don't bike ride my road bike off road. For if Danny is listening. Whoop is the performance tool that is changing the way people optimize their training and recovery. Whoop provides a wrist war and heart rate monitor that features detailed app-based analytics and insights on recovery, strain, and sleep. 
Whoop tracks sleep quality and heart rate variability 100 times per second, 24 hours per day to help you know when your body is recovered or when it needs rest. You could also use the strap to track workouts and get strain scores to let you know how strenuous the training was on your body. Whoop helps you optimize your sleep based on how fatiguing your day was and tracks sleep performance with insights into sleep quality, stages of sleep, and consistency. To make things better, Whoop just released the new Whoop Strap 3.0, which includes a suite of new hardware and app features. The Whoop Strap 3.0 now has 5-day battery life, an improved strap, and live heart rate monitoring. A handful of new in-app features, including the new Strain Coach, improve the way you track and plan your training and recovery. Whoop has provided an offer for Fast Talk listeners to get 15% off their purchase with the code FASTTALK. That's F-A-S-T-T-A-L-K, so two T's, no space. Just go to whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, and use the code FASTTALK at checkout to save 15% off and optimize the way you train. There is always that question that I personally get asked when I work with Karas athletes of that challenge of the season's short, you're racing every weekend. So it's hard to get through the season. But there's also, and we haven't even touched on this, that importance of getting your start position. So sorry, just to take a quick step back for all of our listeners who aren't cross riders. Um, just so you know, you don't you, your start position where where you you line up on the start line has nothing to do with just showing up early and, and grabbing a spot like it does in road racing. It's actually predetermined based on points. So everybody has a particular position that they're given on the start line based on how they performed in past races. And this is really important because if you get that last spot, your chances of winning that race or even being in the top ten is is not great. So there are some people who say I need to come into the season on top form to establish my start position. But then it's, you know, let's say they're, they're racing states at end of October, beginning of November. It's really hard to carry that form yep. versus should you come into the season a little less hot yep. and build up towards your target event? Well, I think everybody's different and everybody's individual goals are different. You have to really work around those goals and you'll have those unique athletes like uh, Denzel Stevenson or say Brady Capius who can win a whole shot from row eight, right? But most of us can't do that. So uh, understanding yeah, I got to get myself to the front. I got to understand how to race from the front because it's a different race. You know, if you can take the first corner at fourth, uh, first, it's a different race than when you're taking it in 12th. So speaking to your point of getting that start position and how you do that, my, my big thing is to just be careful. Um, you don't have to get addicted to being fourth call up instead of fifth call up. Right. And I do think that that's where it eventually gets to. I personally believe the season is short enough that you can come into it pretty darn hot. And with the pros, we don't really have a choice. Um, the domestic, the two World Cups are mm-hmm. September. So our pro athletes in years past, we've had to come into that season incredibly hot. And, and a couple of years back when Max did the World Cups, we came into the season flying and the World Cups were great. And then it was this balancing act of how do we rest and where do we go and what are we trying to do? combined with sickness and, and and had some issues there. But I think you have to come in hot. I think there you have to come in ready to race. You can race yourself into fitness, but in a season that's three and a half months long, if you build in proper breaks after four weeks of racing or five weeks of racing, you can hold pretty darn high form for a long time during the cross season. I think um, 
to go back to Trevor's question a little bit, if depending on where you are and how they base your call up, uh, it does it's done different ways throughout the country. But if you're getting called up and you're on the third row and that worries you, I think that's a different issue than if you're worried about coming in hot to the season to get points right away so that you don't have to face that issue. Yeah. Because if you're back there, you just have to get comfortable with being back there. And that is something you can work on by honestly, like doing group rides, just being comfortable in that situation so that you're not panicking. You're not making mistakes because you're so nervous because you're surrounded by people and everything's flying by you. And, And then you have to work on your patience because if you're good enough to be at the front, but you're not starting at the front, then you just have to patiently wait to get there. Because like you said, there's very few people that can go from the third row to the front that quickly. In the whole shot. In the whole shot. But you, Chris, Mm -hmm. has had this experience of getting back to cross after a couple of years off and having zero points and starting at the back. And it was inevitable that he, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, slapped me on the ass as he came by in the race and said, here we go. And I'm like, how is it lap three? Yeah. <laughs> you jerk. Um, but but understanding. The, the, the part you don't know about that is Chris's warm up was he was babysitting his daughter. While he was wife. too. So was I. <laughs> okay. Yes, that, that was the funny thing. Is we were at some cross races together literally with strollers kitted up helmets on bouncing a kid (laughs) watching our wives come across the line handing the kid off and then going to the line that was quite the season but i think that um i think one of the things and, and this may be better in a different place but that understanding of you don't have to make up every one of those spots in a whole shot absolutely you know in a lot of ways we'll talk about be where you want to be within reason by the end of lap one you have an entire lap to work yourself into this race. And we talk about that a lot in the pro races, that it's going to split one lap in, two laps in. That long line eventually splits. And depending on the course, it splits earlier. And depending on the course, it splits later. But you have an amount of time to get to the front. And when we pre-ride a course, we'll sit down and say, we think you have two laps to get to the front. We think you have half a lap to get to the front. And and then we'll talk about where in that group you want to be, depending on the course. You can afford right. to be fifth in the group. Yeah, but, it's not to the front as in leading the race. Right. It's to the front group with the players you want to be next to. Right. So yeah. that right. if they move, you can move with them. Absolutely. And using all those races that aren't like your goal races as an opportunity to learn to and practice. practice. Yep. Because there's you're always going to be in a position where, especially if you're trying to focus on nationals, right? The odds that you're on the front row of nationals is pretty slim. So being able to start third, fourth, fifth, tenth row, you're going to have to pass people. And the best way to work on passing people is at those races that you're starting on the third row. Yep. yep. And like one of the other athletes, experienced coaches, Danny Arman, has, is, I feel like she'll be okay with us calling her out on this. <laughs> Horrible starter. Horrible starter. But really good at passing people. And like racing. So much fun. Racing the <laughs> other people in the race and not necessarily racing to get to the front. But you're in a group of five halfway through the race the odds that you get to the front group now are really slim you got to be pretty good to get all the way up there but each opportunity each race is a different opportunity to race that group because just because you're racing for 10th or 50th if you're racing against five people you're still racing against five people there's going to be a point where you're racing against five people for the win and knowing where to sit in the group not to be on the back but to be near the front second or third wheel so that you're not getting the rubber band effect like going into all the races that aren't necessarily goal races 
and being able to learn and use the experiences you're getting during the race is an invaluable training yeah. part. I sat down with Katie Compton, who has won the U.S. National Cyclocross Championships a whopping 15 years in a row. I don't think I need to say anything more than that. Here's what Katie has to say about training for cross. So how do you approach any given season in terms of cyclocross specific training skills, the shortness of that season? What, how do you mix in running all of those things? It's a, (laughs) it's a little more complicated than people might think on the surface. It is a little bit more complicated. Um, especially for, a lot of bike riders, um, okay, yeah, we might set up cyclocross as our main season, but we're doing mountain bike, we're doing road. So bike racing nowadays is, instead of a six-month period, it's, it seems like it's turning into like a 12-month periodization with all the disciplines and then trying to be strong at the one you want to be good at. For me personally, it's changed every year because as I get older, my body changes, um, health issues change, you know, you get hurt. I want to do mountain biking. I want to do road. Maybe I'm going to do track. So for me, I kind of, I change it up every year just because I think that's what my body needs as well as my mental motivation to keep doing this for so long. So for me, like my off season and a lot of cyclocross racers, our off season is uh, end of February or sometimes March and April. So I usually just kind of base it off end of the off season and then start with uh, the building um, for cyclocross with you know, the base and like the foundation part with like the tempo and aerobic intervals and some on the bike strength work, LT stuff and kind of just build like you would a normal season with setting up for the periodization to be more specific in the fall and doing the sprint and speed work in the fall more so than doing it in the spring that you would for road season. Where do you mix in skills? Are, are you specifically working on that stuff at this point in your career, having so mm-hmm. much experience with that. Do you mix that in? Do you mix in running? And and when do you do that? Um, I So I do the incline, which is in Mansi Springs here, which I do kind of throughout the season at, off and on. And then I'll add running as the season gets closer, um, mainly because for me, I struggle with being able to ride well if I'm running well. So, mm-hmm. and I don't know why that is, it's just the way my body is, but the years I've done a lot of running to be better at running, I've sucked on the bike part of it. And so... For me, I, I try to focus more on the riding part and then just do enough running to be good on the run parts, but not necessarily run all the time. And then I think as a coach, I, it just depends on the athlete. If the athlete likes to run and is a good runner, I'll have them do more running more through the year. But if they just want to run for cross, I'll start um, adding the running probably in August and kind of really ease into it so they can avoid the doms with it and you can still be um, productive on the bike. But for, for cross, especially domestic U.S., we don't run a lot. Like, you know, your barriers, you run stairs, you run steep uphills, but we don't have enough mud races where running is really an issue. Um, mm-hmm. So you're off training to be a good bike rider and, uh, you know, having running be, you know, it's kind of on the back burner because you only need it for sprinting up a, a steep hill or sprinting up a staircase for all of five to ten seconds. So you don't need, need to necessarily do a bunch of running to be good at that. Now, do you do any specific drills or with people that you may have coached, do you do any specific cornering drills or start drills, things like that? Yeah. Yes. Um, For me personally, I kind of work on that stuff all year round, 
whether I'm on the mountain bike, the road bike, the cross bike, I ride all the bikes all year round and I dismount the same way on every bike. So I'm constantly practicing the cross dismount. Um, once I get close to cross season, that's when I have people do more cross specific stuff because it really comes back pretty quickly. And if you're riding your mountain bike and your road bike through the year, the bike handling skills don't really go away. Um, you just have to kind of fine tune them for cyclocross. So I, I kind of start moving towards that in August. For most people, start racing in September. I've heard in the past that you like to do, whether it's when you're pre-riding courses or you might set up a little uh, barrier or a tricky uh, corner in a park somewhere, and you'll try to hit it faster than race speed. Is that something that you actually do? And what's the logic behind that? A lot of that is just so you know your limits. So you can see a corner and you know, you can look at the traction of the corner, if it's dirt, if it's grass, if it's pavement with a little bit of gravel on top of it. Like, you you know um, how to set up for that corner, you know where to look for that corner, the shifting, the braking, kind of what the limits of your tires are. It's good to practice that outside of the race situation, outside of the maybe pre-ride situation, just because you're not nervous when you're practicing it. And if you can practice it, and people aren't watching too. <laughs> so it's hard to practice the same corner during a pre-ride because it's hard to go back and forth and not get in people's way and maybe try it the same same way and also ride at a certain speed. So it's good to practice that stuff kind of on your own in a park, you know, with the same corner so you can get used to you, you know what the bike will do. You know what you're going to do. You know how to react. And if you dump it in the turn, you know, nobody's there to laugh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any go-to workouts that you do when you need to to really fine-tune things before a big event, whether it's a, a Tabata-style interval session mm -hmm. or a something that incorporates a little bit of interval work with some skill work all combined into one? I do, especially when I'm in Belgium, I have a, a greater opportunity to do it because the forest we have to train in has all those elements. It's got single track, it's got hills, it's got sand, it's got, you know, fast sections and slow sections. So I can work on that. So depending on like, say I'm racing a sand race, say Colt Sider's coming up and I'm in Belgium, the week leading up to that, or maybe even before that, I'll do more specific sand training. I'll do intervals in the sand. I'll do run intervals in the sand, try to ride as far as I can in the sand, go through turns in the sand, try to hit the ruts, just more um, sand-specific stuff. And a lot of it is, whether it's a sand race, a mud race, a fast race, doing the intervals in a way where you're doing high intensity and you're kind of at your limit, and you're also trying to ride a rut. You're trying to do like really smooth technique work and technical stuff because you need to be able to do those things when you're max, when you're VHU, when you're struggling, because that's when, you know, somebody's going to attack you or that's when maybe you have to get back on that wheel. And so it's good to practice the technical bits while you're kind of redlined. Um, so for me, I'll set up intervals where they're short and sweet. Maybe they're less than anywhere from 15 seconds to maybe a two minute interval. But within that two minute interval, I've got bursts of 15 to 30 seconds with full recovery in between, um, where I'm just attacking a technical section and then recovering and then attacking the next technical section and then recovering. So for cross, especially during race season, it's a lot of go hard, recover, go hard, recover, because that's what a cross race is. So mm -hmm. I try to simulate, you know, what the, the actual skills you need in a cross race during the season. And then for outside the season, that's when you're working on your aerobic base and your foundation and your, you know, LT power and that sort of thing. 
Let's get back to the show and take a deeper dive into the training and technical side of cross. One last thing that it's probably a really nice thing to note for a lot of our masters riders or or the people that are working their way through the categories as you go lower in categories, so closer to the cat one or closer to the pro field or the open fields, the likelihood of more group style racing increases. Mm-hmm. What we see a lot in cat three, cat four, the strongest people win. And it doesn't really, there's not a lot of strategy to it. You hit the hand, you hit it, hit the throttle, you hold it down and you go. So back to what we were talking about before, that's one of the reasons I think I get a lot of athletes coming to me that are now cat two or they're taking the leap to pro. And they've been so good at just going to the front and dominating the field by riding a really strong tempo the whole time. Now they're coming into a setting that's completely different and they're getting beat and they're getting dropped out the back for reasons they can't even fathom where they're placed in the group. Did they have the start they needed to have? Were they able to do these things? So as the racing gets more competitive, as the racing gets faster, you're going to see more of these group tactics start to play out and where you put yourself in the group really becomes a tactical advantage or disadvantage. Yeah, it's not just about brawn at that point. You right. have to use some intelligence. You have to think about positioning and a lot of these other things to to uh, take advantage of the tactics. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that is an underrated part of cyclocross is the technical aspect. I grew up with the BJC program and also coach for them too. And it's all focused on fun and technical skills and bike handling. And in if you race in Colorado, you know... All the BJC kids are on all the podiums from Cat 4s to, like, the Pro 1-2 open races. Yeah. And those kids don't have the same engine as most of the racers on the road, but it's the the cornering ability that's going to save you five seconds a lap. It's going over the barriers five seconds faster a lap. And now all those things add up. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people get trapped in the, oh, I need to be able to sprint. I need to be able to hold this certain amount of watts for this long. But when really, like, this 12-year-old can corner faster than you, can't sprint, can't do, can't last for almost 40 minutes, but he can corner faster, can do all the other pieces faster. And a lot of people see big leaps and bounds. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if there's 20 corners on a cyclocross course and you're taking even a half a second per, per corner, yeah, it's it's easy math. Exactly. Yeah, this, this is our math, math minor. That's 12, <laughs> that's 12, <laughs> 12 seconds a lap, right? right. <laughs> So this, this is the one story I was going to share. I uh, coached um, a cyclocross rider a few years back who, who may or may not have worked at Velenus. And <laughs> he kept sitting there saying, need to work in the engine, need to work in the engine. He was losing the races by about two minutes. And I was trying to get him out to go. You know, I actually wanted him to go out to your session mm-hmm. and work on the skills. I was trying to get him to go out with, with Chris and, and work on his skills. And he, he wouldn't do that. And finally, it was actually a race at Valmont where he lost by two minutes and he calls me up and he's complaining again, the engine's just not there. And thanks to Strava, I showed him there's this one technical descent and I showed him that every single lap, he lost 10 seconds on the leader on that wow. technical descent. Yeah. And you add that up and you go, that was the, that, that was basically all the time that you lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's another piece to that too. I mean, I noticed when I was going through my progression of learning how to race cross, and I always had a pretty good engine um, from a triathlon background and even a swimming background and things like that. But what really made the difference was, wasn't just being able to handle the technical aspects of it, being able to handle the technical aspects of it calmly, mm-hmm. being able to, right. to, it, it didn't freak me out. I wasn't on my edge. I was comfortable going through those pieces so that, you know, I wasn't 
grabbing the brakes at the last minute because I was a little bit nervous and then having to chase back on. And that's the other piece we don't talk about very much. If your technical skills aren't quite there, the power you're going to use in order to get back to Mm -hmm. the tail end of the group or get back to that person ahead of you, it's just burning match after match after match, which you're already doing in a cross race. Mm -hmm. So how do you save that? How do you take that back and take that in? And yeah, I mean, this is this is a huge piece of the development, but it's very, very hard to find ways to practice it and very hard to find ways to get better at it. Yeah, well, that's that brings up another question. I know it's difficult maybe to to explain, but for both of you, like, is it just does it just come down to experience, like doing a technical thing over and over again, whether it's bunny hopping barriers or a descent or or how do you work on it? Well, I'm I'm not going to speak for Max, but I'm going to speak for Max. Uh, Max grew up with a bike attached to him. That's not what I sound like. (laughs) (laughs) Use a Max voice. Yeah, use the Max. Got it, you got it, you got it. (laughs) Um, You know, Max grew up with a bike attached to him. There's that's really weird. no other way to put it. That must have uh, made no. sleeping really difficult. It was really hard. I, <laughs> Your mom is a wonderful woman. Yeah. <laughs> made bath time really yeah. strange. But, um, you get to grease her everywhere. <laughs> but you know what? And I, I do think it's a little bit... Yeah, if you, starting young. What you're getting at is yeah. the younger, the better. Well, right. I mean, because these guys are going to go out at 14 when they feel like they're invincible and they're made of rubber mm-hmm. and challenge each other to try this, Everything. try that, go down that, go over that. Basically, what's Grant saying is if you didn't start riding bikes at 14 <laughs> and going off drops and stuff, you're never going to be good at cross. But here's where... Just quit now. Nothing new. Max won't let me finish. Max won't let me finish. <laughs> Max is fantastic at jumping barriers, but then there was a year or two where he stopped. He wasn't focusing on jumping jumping barriers and the skill set kind of declined to the point yes. where uh, it resulted in a uh, separated shoulder at Cincinnati. Mm, yeah. And now that barrier jumps, he's taken another step back because he's on the road so much. And so where do you find the time to, to work those skills? So it's not just time on the bike. It's really focused, deliberate time on the bike mm-hmm. and, and what it is that you're trying to do. You know, one of my favorite stories back when I was coaching Alan Krugoff was Alan used to talk about, I can't do loose gravel left-hand turns. <laughs> loose gravel right-hand turns, no problem. I can't go That's left. Interesting. And, just uh, like Zoolander. <laughs> right. And, turn left. and after time, you know, two years later, he's like, yeah, well, my right hand turns an hour better than my left because he just would focus on it all the time, gravel paths and hit the turns fast. Mm-hmm. So so that piece of being able to you and or your coach identify where the weaknesses is are technically and then put deliberate practice into those skills. Yep. And I think it also comes back to something you already mentioned, which is that confidence. Like yeah. you have to slowly get confidence because that is the foundation of upon which you progress when it comes to technical stuff a lot of the time. The other thing I'm going to bring up too is is patience. A lot of people go out, they do one practice session, they right. expect to see huge results. I'll even tell you from my own experience, as Chris knows, um, I've really lost my descending skills. Um, I'm not going to go into the backstory behind it. When I came back to Colorado in, in January, I said, okay, I'm going to turn back into a great descender. And I got really frustrated because all January and February, I still sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much better now, but it was a very, very, very slow progression of doing a lot of descending. And yeah. it's going to be the same thing with cross. You're going to have to go out and keep doing session after session after session and, and be okay with the fact that those first few sessions, you might go, I, I didn't see any improvement. I yeah. suck. Why yeah. can't I get better? It's going to happen over time. Well, and I think also the progression is stepwise, right? You're going to, or you're going to see this massive progression and then 
the the curve shallows mm-hmm. out, right? Yes, but right. to us, it feels like we're taking a step back. And 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 then to remember that that the stressing of racing and the stressors of cross are always going to show those things back up. I mean, it's been a long time since I stutter stepped on a remount, but when I'm going into something mm-hmm. and it's loose and it's the wrong camber and it's all those things, all of a sudden you go, why did I just stutter step? I mean, the nerves or the fear come into it and that's going to have an effect. And I think even just riding with your friends and training partners that happen to be better at certain aspects than you, because we ride, I ride my two teammates, Denzel and Eric, they both also grew up through BJC really, really good technically, mm-hmm. way faster over the barriers than almost anyone I know. And we'll go to think, go look at drops and stuff. And I'm looking, I'm like, there's no way that anyone could ride that. And then, but there's three of us. So we don't want to be like, well. And then you push each other. I can't ride that. It's like, well, who's going to do it first? Then someone does it. And you're like, well, I, now I have to do it. Well, like, if now that I see that it's doable, <laughs> right. it's easy. And then I ride it, fall on my face, exactly, and they feel yeah. a lot better about themselves yeah, in general. Yeah, exactly. If I'm you want every once in a while, you comic relief mostly. Yeah, yeah. And you post that stuff on Instagram, which <laughs> exactly. I really like about you. Yeah, I, I, I have as much pride in my failures <laughs> as in my successes. And That's I, well, great. you need to because I have a lot more failures than yeah, successes. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And you just find like different lines. And once, once someone else does it, you're like, well, they're not that much better. I can do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I, that, that's a huge piece of finding some people to ride with because they're going to have strengths you don't have. And it, and it's not about speed or riding ability or watts or any of those things. You know, I'll go ride with my wife as you probably do with yours. And, mm-hmm. and every once in a while, you're like, wow, she did that really, really, really well. And I've been doing this for you, right? 40 years. <laughs> No, not quite. <laughs> ah, damn. <laughs> but, 39. 39. But getting into that place and then you're going, well, hey, how did? what are you thinking about when you do that? Because they're coming at it from a completely different angle because I know my wife picked up a bike very late in life. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think all of those things can be really interesting. And that's why I think it's fun to have a group to work with. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm really excited about um, having uh, Chris McGovern, who I mentioned earlier, join us at uh, – he's Tobin Orton Blatt's coach – join mm-hmm. us at Forever Endurance – we look at things mostly the same, but those differences really can give us a lot. Mm-hmm. And even when you're going to races, like finding someone to pre-ride with so that they can look at different lines. Like when yeah. we go to races, we are really lucky because we have, I have Denzel and Eric and Grant there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll go up to a section that might be a ride, might be a run. And we have four people to try it out against. So we'll try to ride it. And Grant will, Grant, he might not be as good technically, but he is a fast runner. <laughs> so we'll go up to the sections and we'll try to ride it. And Grant's just like, Booking it past you. Yeah. Like, well, so. Running might be faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The so, cannonball. Yeah. And you just, you look at, he's the excavator. The excavator. <laughs> is that what you call him? Because he, he's really good at excavating the ruts. Gotcha. Yeah. Or giant craters. Or giant craters. With yeah. myself. Well, to describe, how would you describe Grant to listeners out there? <laughs> Grant, Grant looks like a bowling ball with arms and legs. <laughs> but he's not. He's not overweight. My favorite, my favorite he's story. Just, he's built like he lifts. My a favorite lot, story, but you don't about lift Grant. at all. I, I lift he a little bit, a little but not bit. much. Not my much. favorite story about Grant is he's telling me that he was back when he was playing water polo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One hundred ninety-two. What, what are you like? Five two? Five, five three? <laughs> oh my god! It's just five worse. three. One hundred ninety-two pounds. Goes to the doctors. Severely, se- like obese. Yeah. Um. I'm <laughs> with four percent body. Fat. I'm five eight. Mind you, um, but <laughs> five eight and and my weight. Uh, my wife is a registered dietitian, and we laugh a lot that according to BMI, I am on the borderline of morbidly obese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not yep. just obese, but morbidly obese with like three percent body. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, it's just proof that all shapes and sizes can race cross. Absolutely. So I not necessarily well, but they can. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, you couldn't give that one. That one. <laughs> you just had to put that little couldn't. dig in. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we're, we're, we're okay with that. Well, five foot two, you're so arrow. Yeah, you got so. a big advantage. The barriers are huge for me. <laughs> he corners low because he's on 650 wheels. Because mm, yes. they don't make bikes big enough. He and Katie Keo are on the yeah. same yes, bike. Yes, <laughs> and we digress. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So what are some of your favorite workouts for cross? Let's ask Max, Max this first. What's your what's your favorite yeah. workout that we do for cross? I I like the game workouts where we will do in a group race around a course and like work on passing or accelerating out of corners. Like one of one of the ones I like a lot is we'll set up a square, uh, and you basically are sprinting to the next corner in the square, and mm -hmm. we'll do it for I don't know minute two minutes. Or racing with your friends, like, on a course trying to, like, pursuit style. So one starts at the top, one starts at the bottom, and you are trying to catch that other person for two minutes, and then you stop. Or if you catch them, you can stop. But things that make the training seem, like, more fun, especially mm -hmm. coming off a long road season where it's like, okay, hit these numbers for this long, and then go ride for six hours. It's it's fun to do the, okay, just try to go catch Denzel. Try to go, right. Don't let Eric right. catch you. It's you a know? bit simpler yeah. to so, wrap and, your head around. It, it reflects the other things you see in racing, and so... You you have to be on. You have to be at your at the high heart rate, and you're going through the corners. You got to accelerate out of the corners. You got to nail the the two switchbacks and pop out of it. And so it's not just okay. I need to hold my VO2 max for two minutes. I got to hold the VO2 max and be cornering and try not to let this person pass me, not slide out. Yeah, all the aspects come into play. And from a coaching aspect, I'll design those based on knowing we're going to do this for two minutes, and that's my right. two minute effort, right? Or we're going to do whistle sprints where I know for the most part they're riding tempo because they're riding together so they're not going to ride slow and we're doing maybe a longer course now and over the course of that five minutes 10 minutes we're going to whistle sprint whistle blows all out race each other whistle blows again regroup and so what we're trying to do in those group sessions and it's really quite simple to to do them with your buddies right is is find that distance that you're trying to work uh, one minute power, 30 second power, five minute power, sprint power, and then translate that into some sort of a contest or a game, something that's interactive. Um, so we'll do, we'll do a lot with the whistle, like on and off stuff. Uh, Box 40. <laughs> the Box 40 whistle. They were ready to. That's very coach like. Oh I mean, man. To, to... They were ready to bury that thing in me last <laughs> year, I think. Um, but we'll also do. You know, within small frameworks of a box or a, or a 30 second course or even a 15 second course and start at either end of that course and try to catch each other. And we'll do this in all conditions. Yeah, um, I mean, some of the most fun workouts I did last year was when I joined you guys. We went one time to the reservoir here, which has a lot of sand. You guys mm -hmm. were preparing for a race that had a lot of sand in it. And you were, it was, it was skills combined with efforts, right? It yeah. was creating this tiny little loop with some tight little corners and doing some pursuit style stuff on that little course till there was one person standing at the end. Yeah. And it was and, me. And then <laughs> off to the side. Off to the side. You were, five you were standing. Prior. Chris, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> and then that one in the snow that, yeah. you know, yeah. they're yeah. similar stuff where it was skills and, um, fitness all wrapped into one. And, 
all lighthearted and fun, yeah. but you're getting a lot out of it. So there's right. not that. L- but you bring up the the one point, the, the one thing that I wanted to add to the, this part of the conversation, which which you've you've already hit on, but just to emphasize it, is this is what's unique about cross. And it's one thing to go out and do skills work at a slow pace and then say I'm ready for the race. You need to be doing the skills work at speed. So doing intervals where you work in a skills component. So the, the one I had Chris do on his own last year was a those two minute efforts. But I would be the first minute on the bike and then run up a set of stairs as the second minute or yeah. go over some barriers, something like that, just to work in skills at speed. Yeah, we had a classic a couple of years back. Or one we use a lot for road and cross is um, minute on, minute off, 45 on, 45 off, 30 on, 30 off, 15 on, 15 off. But we did that with a dismount in the middle of each one of those. Uh, one year we did it with the the 5280 steps as a piece mm-hmm. of each one of those things. So steps were in the middle of the minute, steps were in the middle of the 45, the steps were in the middle of the 30, and the steps were the 15. Yeah. You know, and, and Trevor, you're absolutely right. That idea of how do I, okay, yes, I have an effort, but this is something we haven't touched on a lot. Like where's the running effort come in? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we play into the running effort and what we're trying to do in running? into the skills and into what we're trying to do as well. I, I, I basically think my favorite cross workouts are the ones that aren't sustained. Um, the racing's not sustained. I'm a big believer in non-sustained efforts for the road too, because other than time trialing or climbing on your own, you're not racing a sustained pace or sustained power. Um, and even unless it's a pancake flat TT, you're having some variance in what you're doing as well. So even in our longer threshold efforts, having spikes in the middle of it where we're sprinting or sprinting out of those efforts or things like that. So our my favorite cross workouts are the ones that have a lot of variability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that lends to an enjoyment for a lot of these guys too. So we look for that. And it doesn't matter how high your VO2 is or how high your threshold is. You look at people, really good road pros will show up to cross races all the time and get their doors blown off. And yeah. like they can drop me anywhere. Yeah. They can drop most of the people in the field anywhere they want. But it doesn't matter if you can do 500 watts if you can't do it on the course. Mm-hmm. So doing those that high intensity work while you're having to focus in corner is an underrated piece to combination. Yeah. Yep. yep. So you brought up running. Yeah. Should you be doing dedicated running work? I I think so if for no other reason just to kind of get used to the pounding that's going to come into your joints. Um, I think that there's a lot of ways to work that in. You don't necessarily need to go for runs per se, although I think most people would be surprised at how much the pro cyclocross people are running uh, in a given training block. But we tend to try to look for our standalone runs to be based on power and strength. So we do a lot of uphill running, Mm -hmm. sustained, steady uphill running. A few years back, uh, one of my athletes at at the high level was doing the incline once a week down at Colorado Springs. And when she went to the World Cups, it it showed up. I mean, she was pretty phenomenal on the run efforts mm. and even on the slog power riding efforts because it was very much a strength piece of what they do. Uh, our guys are running once a week pretty well into road season often too. And and a lot of times they're to the point now where they're asking me to bring the running back. They like what it does to how they feel. So, but do I think, ever do double sessions, like a ride in the morning and a run in the afternoon? Yeah, so? often we'll put the run with the strength workouts mm-hmm. or we'll take that on a Tuesday, we'll do our our intervals, we'll do the stuff we're going to do, set the bikes down and do eight all-out hill sprints in the cycling shoes as a standalone piece mm-hmm. and then come back to it. 
one of the things we did the other day with running that was actually a lot of fun, you missed it, was we were doing uh, just a general gravel ride and we got on some of the paths out in Niwot mm -hmm. and the long sustained climbs, it was 20 pedal strokes riding, jump off 10 running strides, 20 pedal strokes riding, jump off 10 running strides, off, on, off, on, off, on. So there's a whole bunch of things that were played around with, with that mm -hmm. component. One other thing that's that's interesting to note about the running, and and we've seen this uh, in years past, the years where we've had to do a lot of trainer sessions leading into nationals or the World Cups, uh, we've run better. And I have this little theory that the higher cadence work that we do typically on the trainers translated to high cadence running work. Hmm. Uh, we really saw that at Hartford. The long run up at Hartford uh, a couple of years ago in the snow, uh, it was long and it was slick. So it was a lot about quickness with the mm -hmm. feet. And mm -hmm. we had done a lot of trainer sessions because we just had a really hard winter leading into that. And across the board, whether it was Max or it was Yannick that year or Amanda Miller that year, they ran phenomenally that year. And and I really think there's some crossover. The high cadence work on the bike can translate to quick feet on the run. Fascinating. And running similar things that you're going to see in the cross courses too, like we're not, when we go run, we're not going for jogs on the bike, on the bike path or on the road. Like we're running the trails, we're running steep hills with rocks. So you have to pick where your feet are going, your feet are sliding. And so when you have to make the passes on the run and it's loose, or you have to run up the icy hills, like you're used to slipping, you're used to not just being able to jog along, but you're used to sprinting up those hills, focusing on where your foot placement is, using your hands and like being ready for those steep runs. Cause a lot of, in running in cyclocross, unless it's super muddy, it's yeah. not just slow right. jaunts. Yep. You're going yep. in sub something really steep and you're sliding around. So why don't we uh, swing back around and just kind of finish up here with some tips, suggestions about how to race a cross race. Well, I think one of the most important things you need to do is get out on that course before you race the course. Uh, course inspection is critical because it's going to, it's going to draw out how you want to race that race. And, and as a side note, I think a lot of people warm up on courses completely incorrectly. They have a tendency to go hard on the uphills and they have a tendency to go slow on the downhills or the switchbacky stuff. You don't need to warm up on a cross course going hard on the uphill. Like that uphill at Valmont, you know, it's hard pedal hard. There's nothing, there's no rocket science by it, but you ought to be trying to rip that descent two to three times. What's my line going to be into this? What's my line out of this going to be? Where do I want to go in the sandpit? Do I want to go right? Do I want to go left? Um, those pieces are, are major pieces. One of the, the things that we do with our guys is I'll race in the morning typically and then bring a load of information to the guys when they go out and pre-ride. And I can't keep up with them even when they pre-ride, but I'll feed them that information. And uh, something Pete Weber, who's a local coach here and runs BJC, always says is where's the crux of the course? Where is the biggest difference going to be made in this course? Where's the make or break point in this course? And we'll talk about where that is. And, and then how to address it. And we go through a lot of that before the race and in, in warm up. And then that dictates how you want to race the race. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a very tough sell for anybody who's raced cross to tell somebody, well, you can come off the line, not all, all out, and you can kind of ease your way into the race. There's not a lot of that going on um, very often. There are cases where that that unique approach can work, but it, it's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have to go out there pretty darn hard. But, you know, where one of the things that I like to talk about in a cross race is it's not this sustained, all right, I got this guy got a gap on me or I'm trying to get away. I'm just going to 
slowly but surely try to creep away. Where is the section that I'm going to attack and close that gap by two to three seconds all at once? Where is that section I'm going to attack and open my gap by two to three seconds all at once? So Two to three seconds doesn't sound like much maybe if you're a roadie because yeah. it isn't much on a road. It's but nothing. it can be the the that make or break yeah. moment in a cross race because sometimes the that it just physical or, or mental or both it's that distance that you're like oh man i'm never going to bring this back right. you can just feel it right and i think that's funny because you'll watch a five second gap go for four like laps of a race it just sits there it's just right. a five second gap and they can't close it and this is what i kind of preach to if like if you're trying to close that gap attack a section you think you're good at and try to shut that gap down a little mm-hmm. bit. So how to race, race a cross race? Man, it really, really varies by course. I wish I could give that blanket answer, but... It varies by course. It varies by individual. Max, give us an example of how you... When you feel like you've raced a super smart race, are there certain things that you've done that you can say, man, that really went well today, regardless of the... Regardless of the, you know, the... Have you raced a super smart race? <laughs> I'm trying. Oh, there I'm we go. go. There we go. And Trevor's in on the fun. I'm Trevor's in on the fun. Brain. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think for me at least having like that good start and being aggressive from the gun because then you're above, the, you're in front of the traffic, you're in front of all the lap traffic and you're trying to stay with those leaders for as long as possible. Just trying to stay with that group you're with for as long as possible. And then all of a sudden the gaps are opening up from behind. And we all know that come 30 minutes in to that 45 or an hour long race, it's hard to close those gaps. And once the gaps are established, if you can watch it all the time at the World Cups, because it's really exacerbated at that level. But a lot of times Americans will be looking at them and be like, where are they? Well, they start at 30th and then the race split and they're in 30th. So they can move up all they want, but you're never going to get to the top 10. Yeah. It's but close. when you start in the top 10, you slip, you're in the top 20, right. you know? So it's like... The races that I've raced really smart are the ones that I've got either gotten lucky or had a good start position and been attacking from the gun. And Jeff Proctor uh, coached uh, the national team for many years, mm-hmm. Euro Cross Camp, adamant about it does like the only thing that matters really in the cross race is that first lap. <laughs> you make that first lap with that lead group, you can have the worst race of your life. You're not going to finish that bad because all of those all of those gaps are already formed behind you in those first two laps. Mm-hmm. So especially at the at for my level, like at the World Cup levels and at nationals, like having those good two first laps and not trying not to make many mistakes, and when you do make mistakes, recovering and attacking, and moving up in smart positions and taking Grant says it all the time, take take the spots. Your top ten, you want to be in fifth. Take the spots when you can, where you can on those first two laps, because then all the gaps are established after those two laps. Mm-hmm. And if you if you fall off, you still have 10, 15 seconds on the next group. So if they do catch you, you can recover a little bit and then go back to racing. Yeah, one of the things the boys hear me say and and Danny and, and, and the women hear me say a lot on the side of the course is move up in the group. And it's cliche, right? Where's where's Damo? Work together. Where's Damo when we need him? Exactly. Work together. Move up. But that idea of don't just get to the front group. Get off the back of the front group. Take two or three spots in that front group. Uh, Max had this phenomenal race a couple of years ago at, at – Nittany Cross, uh, one of the first races of the year, he just kept putting himself in second or third in a group. And it was a group of seven or eight, second or third in a group, got shuffled back, second or third in a group, second or third in a group, came around the last corner, he's in third, got third, and looked at me like, what the heck just happened? I got third at a UCI race. I'm like, yeah, well, you raced it really, really smart. 
And I think we see it at Worlds. We've seen it for the last number of years at Worlds. Who was the, it was the Spanish guy that was in the top 10 this year at Worlds, yes, right? Yes. And it ended up ninth or 10th. Yep. And we spent the entire race going, who the heck is that guy? But he got on the group <laughs> in the first lap. And honestly, he's a Spanish hero, probably. I'm in his sure. Country, I'm but we sure. don't know anything about him. <laughs> yeah. But we don't know who he was because yeah. he'd never been there before. Right. And, and so you get into this place though, where he got there on lap one, he stayed there on lap two, he stayed there on lap three. By lap five or six, he was dangling. Lap seven, he was gone. But oh, everybody else, late. it was too late. Everybody else is gone. So I, I know one of the things that I fight in a cross race is you get to that line, you have all these thoughts of like, I'm going to go out really hard. I'm going to win the whole shot. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then you panic because, dude, that hurts. <laughs> you know, that really freaking hurts to go that hard. And then you start justifying, well, I'll slot in the fifth or maybe I won't go all out. But I can't tell you how many times I've done that. And then the race has gone away from me. You know, I, I'll I'll start a race with the goal of I don't try to win whole shots anymore. Uh, a, it's not really my strength as the uh, as a bowling ball. Five two one hundred ninety two <laughs> pounds. That's the excavator. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that acceleration off the line, you know, not quite as quick as maybe Mister Case over here. But uh, if I can slot in third or fourth or fifth, and then maybe work myself up a spot or two or something like that. That way I can see all the splits happening. When you're 10th or 15th, you can't even see the split. By the time the split is noticed, it's gone and you can't get there. And you're wasting way more energy sprinting out of corners, hitting the brakes way more. It's the rubber band effect is just exacerbated. Yeah. Well, well all, I, all I'm hearing is be a good cross rider. You got to be 5'2 and 190 and shape like a bowling ball or have a bike permanently. So... Nobody ever said I was good. Major deformities here. (laughs) Major deformities. Nobody ever said Grant was good. I think you do have to be a bit off to be good at cyclocross. Yeah. (laughs) Those who can't do teach. Those who can't race bikes, race cyclocross. Oh, okay. All right. That's something. You're okay on the road. You're okay on the mountain. But but together, you put half and half together really good. Yeah, because all those guys that are dominating the pro peloton that race cross when they were kids. I haven't heard of a single one of them. Alaphilippe, Van Aert. I do like that no one knew Alaphilippe raced cross until he started until that dirt section on <laughs> but no no no. then he like vanderpool and wout start doing well and then all this cyclocross magazine's like oh this guy raced cross you're claiming everyone yeah. so alaphilippe's and yelling all of a sudden Teo like, Neeson too yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're like yeah. no one cared that anyone raced cross and then wout and Matthew just show up and they're like this guy raced cross that guy raced cross he raced cross look at him he yeah. did cross yeah he I, did one cross race i will say this as we talk about cyclocross and where it fits in in cycling in general there there isn't really a coincidence that so many of these great road athletes have developed out of cross what it teaches young riders the ability to ride at the ends of the spectrum high end and low end the handling of the bike the explosive power and not long durations. We're not wearing out athletes by racing cross. So watching kids and U23s and juniors develop out of cross, they walk into their early 20s with a skill set that's just phenomenal. Yeah. And then you can lay some volume on top of that and some nuanced training on top of that. And they really have a wonderful base to get really special on a bike. So for, for those listeners that have kids that would like to see their kids race bikes, it's a, it's a pretty phenomenal place to start. And as Chris knows, and I know, the ability to bring your family out mm-hmm. and have your wife race and have your kids race and spend a day there is really something unique to the sport. And and if you haven't tried it, I encourage you to get out there and give it a go. 
Um, I know people with bikes. I'll loan you uh, a size double X double small. Double X small. It'll fit your kid really well. <laughs> Uh, it's got it's got two down tubes too to carry does, the weight. It does, it does. It's, it's, it's load bearing. <laughs> the size forty six. Yeah. Steel is Buddy. really good for <laughs> steel. Is very real. Let's go back to my interview with Katie Compton and hear what she has to say about race strategy and race prep. She has a lot of great advice, but what really struck me is how attentive to every detail she is. For someone like yourself who's got so much experience, what are you considering on race day in terms of uh, how to develop your strategy? Are you looking at the course, the weather, the competition, your strengths, your weaknesses, all of that? Or are you yes. going, yeah, all of that? Uh, you call, Yeah, that's pretty much everything you need to look at as a rider, as an athlete. First of all, what I do and what I, I try to talk my athletes into doing is how do you feel today? Or do you, did you wake up feeling good? Does your, you do, do you feel tired? Do you get a good night's sleep? Do you feel like you're on it? Like mentally fresh, physically fresh? Like, how do you feel today? Because I feel like the, your race strategy needs to start with kind of how you feel, because if you're tired, if you're not feeling great, if you're a little dull, um, maybe you're stressed with work, or maybe you didn't sleep well that night, you're not going to want to go and drill it. <laughs> maybe you're a little off. And so you need to, you need to know what your body can do and, and uh, look at the race and be like, okay, I'm pretty, I'm feeling tired today. I might start a little conservative and kind of read my competition and see how it's going to go. Um, if I feel good, things could change. If I feel bad, it's like, well, I'm going to do the most, the most I can with it. Um, so I kind of first see, see how you're feeling. And then after that, look at the, the race, where you're riding strong, where you feel like you can attack, where do you think the race is going to get like their winning mood's going to happen, what competition's there, you know, who's stronger than you, you know, how can you beat certain riders, like what can you do to race to your strengths to get the best result you're capable of? And so there's a lot of factors that come into that. So I try to explore all of them before, you know, the race starts and, and make a decision that way. And how does, how do you go about a course inspection? You've done it literally hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. What are you, what are you, looking for on a course that you know mm -hmm. and, and and a course that you don't know that you've never raced on before um well for a course that i know that's pretty easy because depending on the weather i can choose the tires pretty easily because i've raced it before i know what, what tires to run tire pressure as well i mark writes it down but i also i have a pretty good memory for that stuff so i can usually start with the right tire pressure or start with you know the within one psi of the tire pressure i'll probably need for race day so I just go and pre-ride the course like that. And even though I've seen the course in years past, um, I'm still looking for any new lines that may have been dialed in. I take the bad line. I take the good line. I take the perfect apex line um, just in case I need to pass or, you know, conditions change during a race. I know how both all the lines run. And then I kind of think of, um, is it quicker to ride this hill? Like what care I need to be in? Is it quicker to run it? Like what's the fastest way to get around this course? Um, so I kind of look at, at those variables and then if it's the weather supposed to change, like if I pre-ride when it's dry and then it's supposed to rain on race day, I think about, you know, tires and tire selection and tire pressures, kind of what I, what I might want to run if the weather changes and then how the lines are going to change as well. And so a lot of it is just doing your homework, preparing like yourself as best you can to be confident on the course and ride different lines and use different gearing and, you know, try to push it on the downhill, maybe see how fast you can go without, you know, losing it, but just kind of seeing where your limits are and then 
when race day comes, you're confident in your abilities and you know how the course is going to race and you just follow through with your plan. I wonder if you have any tips for people that aren't either as experienced or maybe just not as willing to run such low tire pressures as you have had over the years. Cause I know it, ta- <laughs> it takes some getting used to a, it takes, yeah. it, it also, in some ways it's, it comes down to um, whether you want to risk cracking your carbon, nice carbon wheels or not. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. what, what else, what other tips do you have for people in terms of getting used to it or, or having the confidence to ride low, low pressures that can make a huge difference on race day? Um, for that, you have to practice, um, which means you need to ride your tubulars off road and see how they feel at different pressures. Even for me in the early season, I ride clinches on the bike path quite a bit and I, I just tire pressures. And even as cross season gets closer, I try to ride a little bit lower, just get used to what it feels like to ride on low pressure. Cause it does, it's a transition. I know when I go from my road bike to my cross bike and get out of the saddle, I was like, whoa, that feels weird. And it does, it feels weird for the first like few weeks or so. But then once cross season hits, it's like natural to run 17 pounds and not notice it. You know, it, it feels okay. So a lot of it is just kind of getting used to the low pressures. And other than that, it's being light on the bike, using finesse. It's unweighting your wheels when you're going over rough terrain. Be careful careful on turns that are maybe dirt to pavement or pavement to dirt, or even just having to turn on the pavement, just knowing that with low pressure, you can't lean the bike like you usually do. So you have to be a little bit more careful with that. But a lot of it is just, you've got to, ride low pressure and get used to it. You've got to get used to slipping around, um, feel how your balance is different. Maybe try one less PSI at a time, just get a feel for it. Once you're comfortable with that, maybe go a little bit less, but also just knowing, knowing your tires, knowing the traction and knowing the course, because low tire pressure is great when you need it. But if you don't need it, you're better off running a little bit higher and decreasing that rolling resistance. So you don't want to run low pressure, just run low pressure. Um, you want to run the correct pressure for the train so you get the max amount of traction out of your tires. And that, right, that is experience. And that is just time on the bike and time racing your bike and getting feel for it. And one one thing I'd like to follow up on are hmm. starts. And I know we've hmm. spoken about this before <laughs> because sometimes you – it turns out it's not strategy on your part to get slow starts. Sometimes you, out, I would never recommend someone getting a shitty start just to get a bad start. I, I mean, that makes, just makes your life that much harder. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah. how, do, how do you work on starting fast, starting well, or, or maybe not even starting fast, but starting the way you want to so you don't get swarmed, but you also mm-hmm. don't uh, overdo it and use so much energy just to get to the front um, mm-hmm. too, too quickly or sit out there in the wind by yourself. Yeah. So I do it both ways. Like I, I practice just the technique part of hitting my pedal in the right gear. Um, and as people have watched me race over the years, sometimes I get it right. And a lot of times I don't, but I really do practice it. So, and I do that at every stoplight, whether that's my cross bike, my mountain bike, my road bike, I try to practice that start almost each time. And that doesn't mean I'm doing a max effort off the line, but I'm doing it quickly enough where the technique will be the same. So I'm always trying to practice that just to kind of train the body to know how to do it. After that, I'll do start intervals and I'll have my athletes do start intervals that are different where sometimes I'll do maybe the first 20 to 30 seconds, it's max off the line. And then you sit down and you kind of fall into LT or sometimes I'll do more of like an LT type start and then a sprint afterwards. Like, so we finished with uh, VO2 
kind of do it both ways. You're working technique, you're doing a max effort off the line, you're doing more of like an 85% effort off the line, working it both ways. So that way, depending on the start, if it's an easier race, you don't need to do a full gas start, you know, if, but if it's a really hard race, like a world cup or nationals, you know, you have to get a really fast start off the line. So, um, working on that part of it where you're drilling it for the first 30 seconds, maybe 45 seconds, and then you can relax a bit. It's good to work on all of it. And honestly, I think I had my best starts when I used to do kilo efforts on the track, on the mm. pursuit, just because it's usually one, you know, one minute, like one fifteen, one twelve type effort, full gas as hard as you can go. And you can only do, I think I used to do three kilo efforts and that's plenty because they hurt so badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's the, wor- it's the worst effort ever. But at th- that, when I did that on the track, that's when I had my, my best start. And I haven't done that for a while. And part of it because I don't do the track as much, but uh, it's, it definitely makes you a good starter. If you can do like even a one minute flat out, you can definitely develop your start effort for the better. Let's get back to the show and what we do every episode, our one minute takeaways. We're going to put each of you on the clock. That's a five minute timer, unfortunately. Perfect. Uh, so it's, you get one minute each. And it's basically take what you think is the most salient point or the, the summary of this episode and put it in a minute. I like this because then you can just skip to the end. Mm-hmm. It's like reading the end of the book. Yes. For, for school. All right. Yep. This is, this is what Max is good at, so reading the end of the book. So who wants to go first? I don't. I don't want to go first. Okay. I'll go first. Grant will Grant go first. Will go first. first. actually got the timer out, yeah. and he's going to hit play all right Grant, you've got one minute Keep three two one go i think the uh the the thing that we're really talking about a lot with this episode is that cross is unique it's different and the the training required for it is different the preparation right, required for it is minute, different <laughs> next next topic. next what <laughs> uh i i don't even know where to go from there that was good <laughs> I was listening to Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee last night, and it inspired me not you were to listening miss... listening to it or watching it? Watching it. Okay. It inspired me not to miss opportunities to make to interrupt. comedic jokes. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I, yes. Honestly, I feel like you missed quite a number of I, opportunities uh, in this episode. <laughs> you pulled. Game. You pulled back he your did pull chances. Back. He did I pull... just did a... Oh, huh. You did <laughs> not like, execute Max Chance. Max, why are you here? I don't know. Grant texted me last night, are you free on Monday? He's like, cool, Bell News Podcast at 10. I checked last you week. You don't but... work on material, though. You're just a seat of the pants No, if anyone, this could be a shameless plug. But, seat of the chamois? Uh, what do you say? The Max, the Max's Crosswalk, one take only. Very famous for one year in Boulder. Always one take. Never let people redo it. Never yeah. scripted. Yeah, it was good. There, there it was, wasn't good. It was, it was, a, it was, it was, phen- it was a phenomenal piece of media yeah okay are we talking about social media content from uh, hashtag content yeah hashtag content hashtag influencer (laughs) (laughs) just please splice some of those in somewhere oh it's all going in grant all right do you want to try to try another minute again i'll try my minute again um all right so i think what what we've really boiled this down to is that cyclocross is a unique experience in and of itself how we train for it how we prepare for it and then even out uh, as you how you go out and execute your racing strategy so um, the specifics of the demand from a training perspective from a physiological perspective but also from a skill set and from a mental perspective uh, there there's great opportunities to go out with friends and really develop and and develop that camaraderie that exists on the bike and I think that that camaraderie 
is a major, major piece of the cyclocross community. And uh, you should give it a try. Fantastic. Okay, so we're going to put Max on the clock here, but we got a couple rules we're adding. Paul's Grant, <laughs> you get to try to distract him. Distract take him off the game. But we are not stopping the timer. All right, all right. Absolutely. Okay, Max. Go, Max. Go. I think that, Grant, your microphone's falling over. That's you're my already, first way. You're already 15 seconds in. It's been this. six, seven seconds <laughs> right now. And you've yet to say anything. That's because there's That's nothing. About- my takeaway is that I think training with your friends, using off-the-bike skills, and using every opportunity you can to develop the skills that we're seeing during cyclocross races and bunny what? hopping up. Buddy hopping up curves um, and riding with your friends. And falling down and sand. falling down and like jumping over barriers and yelling, oh, when you crash really hard. It's and learning to insult your friends. Yeah. And learning then, to insult your friends. I yeah, think cyclocross yeah. is about having fun. Is it's it? about heckling people. It's about drinking beers. And it's about having not a good too time. Much heckling, not though. too much heckling. And if you're not 21. Right. Course, Eric and well, Denzel, it's not about drinking right beer. Eric and Denzel, it's not about drinking beer. Yeah. No matter what Grant has They're said, I've got nine seconds left. Wow. I've got nine seconds left. Do I'm just going to keep talking. Yeah, Five seconds. Just, <laughs> just, and just don't suck. Stop. <laughs> and time. Okay. Oh, God. Do He's I get to go next? How do I follow I can, that? I can go next if you want. Oh, no. We don't Did want to finish with happen? me. Okay. <laughs> I got nothing to say here. Okay. <laughs> I only took 40 seconds. You don't think the whole my, my, my one minute is... I want to find out what time you guys are going for these rides. <laughs> just and I want to come out. Early on Tuesday. I won't be able to keep up with you. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and listen and laugh. No, I think that's it's fun. It, it's it's pretty it's it's pretty special, honestly. There could be a documentary. And that's there. you know that's <laughs> probably my take home as the roadie here who who has done I think three cross races in my life. Uh, one of them was a, a UCI race where I kid you not, I was dropped before I, I crossed the start line. Nice. Wow. It, it was horrifically embarrassing. Uh, but my take home is we can be really serious as roadies. And I yes, think throwing in some cross races, having a little more fun, we'll learn in some skills is a great way to finish out the season. And I'll leave mine there. Chris? But not riding your road bike on the dirt. It's a good way to break your road bike. Don't do that. They are Never. all the same damn thing. If I got this brakes. <laughs> um, I'm I'm actually surprised how little I spoke in this episode. Yeah, given the fact that I've essentially given up on all other disciplines. Except I dabble. I dabble in the hour record here. I do dirty cans in there. <laughs> you know, easy stuff like that. But then, what I truly focus on sometimes is cyclocross. But I didn't speak that much. I think that the keys to cyclocross, the the things that people should take away from this episode are that honestly in my it's just this is just my opinion, it's the most fun you can have on a bike. It's a condensed version of all the great things about all the other cycling disciplines rolled into one. It takes a lot of I mean, you can do it on any kind of bike. Literally, you can you can bring your mountain bike out there all and the just same. dabble in it. They're all the same. Um, no, oh, man, you threw. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
Winner, winner, <laughs> max chance. I think that, that was, I wasn't timing, but that felt like a while. It might be that you haven't been talking a lot, but listening to you for 30 seconds was like... If you watch Chris in a, in a cross race, he takes a long time. He has he passed me time. late in a race many a time. Yes, it takes. he definitely takes his time. You're like, yeah. no one's going to pass me now. We're 45 minutes. Oh, what? Chris, there goes Chris. you're still racing? <laughs> wasn't the Masters 50 to 55 three hours ago? Oh, nice! Make him. That makes him older than me. Yeah. I love that we just made Chris older than me. This yeah. is fantastic. I'm done. <laughs> Cross is fun. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Cross is fun. That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at velonews.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash velonews and on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. Fast Talk is a joint production between velonews and Connor Coaching. Your thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Grant Holicky, Max Chance, Ellen Noble, Katie Compton, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.